Welcome to the very first episode of the Raven Precision Podcast. I'm Matt Roy, and over the course of this podcast, I'll sit and visit with uh, people from our product development team, uh, tech support group, um, just pretty much anybody that makes anything happen around here. Uh, and we'll kind of get some insights on um, new software features that are coming out, any new product developments, or, uh, or any news and updates. In this episode, given how the spring season is kind of creeping up on us, I sit with a few guys about pre-spring maintenance checks and uh, just anything to go over from your, all the way from your boom tips to your field computer. Uh, and <laughs> uh, I didn't for, we didn't forget about the dry guys along the way. So we, we, we talk about sprayers, uh, spreader boxes. We talk about boom maintenance, field computer maintenance, um, and all the little electronic checks and sensors and just to make sure that everything is up and running and ready so you don't have any surprises during the season. I sit and visit with Casey Renesh. He's one of our tech support specialists. Uh, Gary Esselink, he's a precision ag specialist who also has spent a number of years as a product manager. Um, and, you know, way back in the day, he was also a lead tech and, and a part of the tech support group. And Lance Malenke, who is currently the lead tech of the tech support group. Between the three of these guys, uh, there's a ton of information in their heads, and they've seen it all. Uh, and so we got to sit down and visit about these maintenance checks to go over and, and kind of some things that um, you may or may not see along the way. Even though we kind of frame this as a thing to do before the season, which we we still highly advise to do so, uh, these are some things that can fit at any point in the season. So um, if you if you can't quite get to it right away and you need to, to look it over a little bit down the road, uh, it's not a bad thing to do either. So here is me visiting with Casey, Gary, and Lance. I think we'll just get get started talking about our pre-spring maintenance checks. Um, so... Probably just uh, go down the list, I think, with uh, with our sprayer mechanical stuff. So um, what kinds of things should people be looking at before they before they go out on their machine? Uh, or actually, as they go out on their machine, excuse me. Um, you know, mechanically, because we'll get into, like, all the electrical, all the software stuff. Um, but as a very, at a very physical level, what are we looking at? I would say the first thing that we look at is that, you know, some of these things are going to be rather obvious, but uh, these are things that we want to look at. So when you're taking your sprayer out and you back it out, I would say unfold your booms, look for any cracks, anything in the in the bends or folds as uh, you unfold that boom. If there is anything and you have to do any repair work on it, make sure that you disconnect all your electronics on there. We just had a individual called in a week ago and said, well, what if I just use my uh, power disconnect? Would that be good enough? You know, and we said, well, it depends on where everything's hooked up on the machine. You know, five minutes of disconnecting everything from the battery can be a whole uh, lot better than spending an hour or two uh, right. going through wires, looking at pins, uh, something that's burnt out in mm-hmm. the end. So five hour, five minutes of quick little check there before you do anything would be the first thing to look at on the uh, booms. And that's just boom oh. cracks. So, Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that goes for if you got to jumpstart the machine too. Would recommend recommend unplugging the uh, electronics off of it also because a jumpstart. If you got a dead cell on a battery, you hook that jumper on there, and that 
power, that voltage spike, that can cause damage to electronics, not just welding, but from jump-starting also. So if you get in that machine in the shed and you turn that key and you don't get anything coming on, it'd be a good idea to disconnect your, your rate control electronics before you jump-start that machine. Right, save a lot of headaches later on. <laughs> yeah. so, so I think after that, you know, it's time to just kind of take a look and do a visual inspection of your boom itself. Take a look at all your wiring. Uh, does not hurt to disconnect all your wiring connections. I know that takes a little time. Like I said before, if some of these things may take a little time, but it sure can ensure a whole lot of uh, issues, uh, avoiding issues once you get started. But I think if you disconnect the, all the wiring connections, looking across, look for corrosion or anything else that may have uh, embedded itself over time, that possibly can happen. And if there is, I would address it by getting rid of the, corros- the corrosion uh, Make sure you uh, use some uh, non-corrosive material. You can probably spray on the pins and use dielectric grease. And too many times, one of the things that happens, one of the things that happens is the fact that people think they see dielectric grease. That means you put it on all the pins. That's not what we want. We want it to put it around the outer seal mm-hmm. to seal from moisture inhibiting from coming in. Well, right, because if you put if you put too much in the connector. That'll actually have enough pressure to push the pins back in, right? Yep. You know, so yes, you're looking to do that, or, some... or it can break your connection and not get the voltage and the signal across yep. that we need. Oh, yep, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, because when you're looking, when you break those con- connectors open, like uh, you know, uh, with with our stuff, a lot we have a lot of four pin uh, connectors and everything like that. They even have the little orange uh, gasket that's in there. That's another. That's another thing probably to look at a little bit too, right? Because yep. uh, sometimes you know when they get Plugged and unplugged, they get twisted, they fall off. Uh, that's actually, I mean, that's actually pretty important to have on. Yeah, there make still. sure your seals are in place when you put that dielectric grease on there. If you're missing a seal, that's just a chance for water to get in there. Yeah. We're taking then, fine electronics and putting them in a very corrosive environment. When you start talking some <laughs> of these chemicals and fertilizers, it doesn't take a whole lot to start corrosion. Yeah. yeah, and be aware, you know, if you see a pin that's corroded or the color of green, be aware that that possibly could follow in beyond the pin connector can right. actually go down into the wire. Follow yeah. up underneath the insulation where you yeah. can't mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. And follow up just to make sure everything's uh, good and clean beyond that. Yeah. I've been on machines, you know, this time of year, especially when it's colder, all the water intrusion, if those seals that we talked about did break, you'll open up that connector and there'll be a chunk of ice in there. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. you know, some of that stuff can be really obvious or it might be a little bit of green that you see right away. And like Gary said, you could, that could crawl up in the wire and mm-hmm. crawl up in there Six, you know, ten inches or so, and, and cause some issues down. The, the sooner you catch it, the easier it is to deal with. Well, right, yeah, because if if you catch it early, it's just surface level stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. At that point. Yeah, and like I said, put some kind of rust inhibitor in. Mm-hmm. If you've seen any corrosion in there, that'd be wise to do that. Yep. So, and it, sometimes it gets to the point where that corrosion's gone so far enough where you may have to replace the connection or an entire harness. Yes. We've seen that in the past. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of us, by the way, have been in service and we've all taken service calls we've all been out in the field so those are all things we've we've seen firsthand Um, i'd say the next thing if we've got our connections and we check through everything probably the next thing would be do a visual inspection on the inside of your tank the tank is very important a lot of times it's neglected you think well we finished over the uh in the season before so uh let's get uh that should be good but you know what happens a lot time and temperature uh, can cause a lot of times residue or debris to c- collect in the bottom of that sump. And uh, that can, you know, 
that can lead right into something in your mainline uh, right. strainer, et cetera. So you got issues there. Or for an object, if somebody's doing anything on top with that tank off, if they drop a shop rig down in there or something like that, it's easier to look in and take care of it when it's in the tank versus getting sucked into the system. You know, mm-hmm. if it's your, if it's just your sprayer and you're the only one doing it, but if you've got several people working around it, those things can happen. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and definitely, I mean, like you said, take a look at the tank and make sure before you do anything to get those strainers cleaned out and flushed out and do a rinse on the whole tank and the booms just to make sure everything is. Yeah. Well, right, cool. and, and with strainers, like, <laughs> those really become key when you're looking at something with, like, hot kai, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the strainers, if those are plugged, that could cause issues, pressure issues that make the pump overwork, and, you know, we're not going to be able to build up the pressure that we need to, and Hawkeye's going to throw up an alarm code and, right. and let you know that. But And make sure you got the proper strainer in for the system that you're working with, depending on what size of tips you're working with or whether you're working with a Hawkeye system. You want to make sure you got the proper strainer in there. You want that to catch the debris, not let the debris pass and go catch in a tip or, or in a nozzle body. Yeah, and I, on a Hawkeye strainer, it's an 80-mesh. 80 80-mesh. 80 you know, yep. And just for the fact, uh, as far as people are wondering what is mesh, how fine it is, mesh, uh, the number means how many holes per square inch is what it is. So that's just a little side note to know what uh, when you're figuring mesh. The more you know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. Yeah. <laughs> so I know a lot of people, they don't want to deal with the problems, you know, of the strainers plugging, so they throw a 40-mesh strainer in there. Or leave it out. Right. Or leave it out. And that's even worse. You know, that's going to cause a lot of issues with the nozzle tips or if we have Hawkeye on there yeah. later on. It's, it's easier to clean a strainer than try to clean out all your boom plumbing and your all your nozzles individually. Yeah. Yeah. But once you check that main strainer, then you, it, obviously you follow along and you go to the uh, strainer tips, you know, on, these, mm-hmm. uh, on the nozzle bodies mm-hmm. themselves because yeah. that definitely collects debris that happens through the and. Also, corrosion, if it's set in a wet environment, those kind of things, uh, that's the place where you're going to see it is on those uh, screens or mm-hmm. a- actually getting inside the tips, the tip uh, orifices as well. After you're giving everything a good visual inspection, I'd recommend with a sprayer, you know, throw a couple hundred gallons of water in the unit. Don't put that first tank mix in there. Just throw straight water in there. Then you can fire it up, make sure your pump operates, make sure you don't mm-hmm. have leaks. Make sure your tips are doing what they're supposed to be doing. You can give it a good visual inspection. Nothing worse than mixing up that first tank of the season and going out to find out your pump doesn't start or you, you got a fittings that are broken. All of a sudden, you're spraying chemical out, and you got to worry about containing that. Right, Always right. do water first. You know, it yep. takes a little bit of time, but it gives you that peace of mind going into your first load that that your that your system is ready. Yeah, yeah. We've seen yeah. enough times that guys will call in and they'll say, you know, I'm out here to spray and I've got my chemical in my tank and now it doesn't work what do i do so we got issues a lot of times you know to do our troubleshooting and stuff to you know check those three things the speed the flow and the boom sense we need to drive and we need to spray in and if they're sitting in the yard or sitting in a you know a field that we need to spray in and and they're not ready to do some testing i mean that's you know i I want to just back up one more uh physical maintenance part out it is probably check the end caps of your booms uh, probably that's a good thing to look at as well, you know, because uh, over the season, once again, uh, things can, uh, accumulation of dry chemicals, it'll dry and, and settle in those end caps. And when you fire up the boom, like Lance said, when you put the water in, that can actually uh, start to uh, activate and it'll get uh, dispersed through your system once again. So yeah, okay. make sure you get those. There may be some dry uh, uh, 
uh, adhesion on the end of those end caps, so make sure that's clean too before you probably before you put any uh, liquid in the system. Because yes, they're a dead dead end in the plumbing system, so that's where those solids and that residue will accumulate. Yeah. So depending on how well it was flushed out the previous season, the previous time it was used, makes a big difference on how well the fire up goes. Well, right, and that almost seems like it's kind of a good key point for flushing again. Mm-hmm. You know, even even at the at the start of the season, like you talk about, take them caps off, clean them up, then maybe do a flush or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. But back to. You know, I guess I wanted to hit on another point with the speed flow and boom sense. You know, especially with a sprayer, we can double check the area per hour and the volume per minute. And there's, you know, to check the area per hour, all you got to do is is uh, start driving, turn your booms on, and see what that number actually is. And if you take the uh, speed in miles per hour times your width in feet divided by 8.25, those numbers should match. And if they don't, you might have some settings wrong. You might have a speed cal wrong. You know, if that uh, Viper came from a different machine or a different user, if a different operator used it last, Mm -hmm. you don't know if they're going to be right. You don't know what they had set in there. So some of that stuff is a a pretty quick check to see, you know, are are the base level calibration values going to be good? I always like to use look at area per hour because of the three you talked about, you know, speed, boom, and uh, flow. Uh, two of the three can be taken care of in just area per right, hour itself. Right, so right. that's one way to eliminate it. And then if you're still not getting a rate, because that's going to – anytime you get a zero rate, you're probably missing one of those three key elements. Mm-hmm. So two of the three can be out of there, uh, be taken care of with area per hour, like Casey said, and then the other one is volume per minute, and that's that would be the flow. Mm-hmm. And that would be the thing to check on that. Um, I think, too, when we talk about starting the system up uh, – once again, just do the common sense visual expen- uh, inspection. Look for any leaks. You know, maybe O rings have probably deteriorated or something like that, or something got pushed out of uh, place. Even if you're uh, taking your nozzle tips apart and putting them back in, you probably didn't get them put in correctly. So make sure you don't have any visual leaks from your hoses and connections anywhere right. you're looking at. Yep. Yeah. So if something didn't get winterized properly and you got a crack from a freeze, yeah, you know, all those things, it's best to find that out with water than it is with chemical. Right. Right. One easy way to do that, you know, if we have AccuBoom or Hawkeye on the system, you know, we have that AccuBoom remote or the Hawkeye diagnostic app where you can actually go back and check out, you know, section by section, turn your pump on through the app and see if things are functioning right. Yeah. So you don't have to have your whole boom on at one time. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's – once you do that and if you actually have a rate, at least you could probably, if you're on the – on the yard before you actually drive in the field, you could put a self-test speed on, yep. so at least you're yep. simulating that. Yep. So self-test is basically saying you're driving a certain right. speed, and from there you can go. But it goes back to what Casey said. If we look at this, if we don't get rates, it's uh, always go back to basics. Too many times we try and overthink a system, but the very first thing you do is go back to basics. You know, I think Lance brought that up as well as far as uh, – or Casey brought up uh, – we, maybe it's a different controller, maybe it's settings, maybe somebody pushed a button and changed things. So that's one of the things you should always look at, too, if you're not right. getting that rate. Yeah. The area per hour you know, is easy with that formula. The volume per minute is a little more difficult. You could do a catch test. Or you know, if you know if you have a tip chart and you know if you're operating at 40 PSI, we should have roughly this amount of flow. You can kind of cross-reference some of that stuff if you've 
been a, an operator. And if you're not getting a rate, it's a quick visual check to see which path we need to go down. If my volume per minute is zero, I need to start looking at the flow meter. Right. If my area per hour is, is zero, I need to start looking at my speed and my boom whist and my boom sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It gives you on the right path really quickly instead of chasing a flow meter problem when you got a speed right. problem. Yeah, too many times we've seen uh, guys, they don't have a rate, so they start replacing components right away, and probably it's something that we've talked about before. It's, is it right. a connection that's not right? Do we have some corrosion or something we like that? we got some debris caught in a flow meter. Yeah, and well, some of those things are ex- – that's expensive when you start replacing components where actually a little bit of visual tests and some disconnecting a thing here or there mm-hmm. can save you a whole lot of money. And also a lot of what we've talked about has been for sprayers here, but if you get an injection unit on the machine – all these same rules apply. You can run water through your injection unit, check your connections, check the process, and make sure it's working like it should before you put chemical in there. It's basically the same functionality as a sprayer, just in a smaller, lower-volume unit than the main sprayer pump. Yeah. And if you're trying to make that run, and if you're, you know, one of the things, you could put colored uh, water colored with dye to make put sure. Put some food coloring in it. Yeah, yeah. Just a little food coloring is all it takes to make sure, you know, everything's uh, yep. injecting properly. Yeah. If you do a prime on the injection, if you do just a simple prime and cal, that'll get most of the kinks worked out of the injection pump. You know, yeah. you don't have to run it and, you know, run it out your boom tips. You can you can do the right. prime and cal and get 90% of the, the functionality done and, and test it on that. So. Yeah. Uh, I just want, I kind of want to jump back into the, the area per hour test because you're kind of hitting on some things with that. But uh, like like you said, Gary, it tells you a lot. It, it really can. And uh, when, when you go in there, um, like if you just set yourself test speed and you go in there and you start flipping one switch at a time mm-hmm. and you look and you see, okay, that number counts up and you, you know, you I'm getting a response. Us, you gave us a little math, Casey. I'm going to, I don't remember. <laughs> you know, let's, let's say I don't remember, but you look yep. and you set, you set yourself test speed, maybe like 10 miles an hour or something like that. You flip on one boom switch, you see, was that about like 10%? of that section's width, kind of something like that. Depends on how your sections are laid out. Yep. Yeah. And how many sections you actually have on it. Yep. Exactly. Oh yeah. For the, for the switch. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, you can look and you flip that one switch at a time. Make sure that that number is consistent. Make sure you're you're getting a reaction. They may not be consistent. If you've got different widths of, if you got one section at at 20 foot and one section at 10 foot, they're going to be different. Depends upon the layout of your, of your machine, and that's mm-hmm. not what I'm getting at with consistent. Like I'm saying, make sure that, number, that number's stable. That number, yeah. that number's stable. Yep. It, yep. For one, it actually does throw a number in the area per hour, and two, it stays put. And then you go on to the next switch, and you go on to the next switch because if that number's kind of uh, you know uh, jumping around, it's it's it gives you a reading, and then it's not a reading, and it gives you a reading, and then it's not a reading. Say you're doing one switch at a time, and you're flipping them off as you go, uh, and then you're turning a new one on. You'll see that maybe jump up to a number and then go back down to zero. Jump up to a number and go back down to zero. So, like, if you have a switch box or if you have, uh, you know, you have your own uh, separate wiring into, say, you know, your your uh, your armrest or something like that, you might be looking at kind of like an intermittent connection. Uh, but just to say, you know, when we're doing area per hour, that does not mean you actually have to be applying. Right, it's exactly. Just, it's just a calculation of mm-hmm. adding that boom to that speed is what we're right. looking at. So you don't have to actually have be putting spray out of the nozzle tips right. to do that. Yeah. But I, that's a good point because that's a good – every time you flip the switch, the number should climb, whether it be uh, 
seven nozzles in a section or ten nozzles. Right. And that, to me, that leads to the next point is, you know, when we're checking, we have to check all our valves to make sure. Another visual inspection. You know, when you flip that switch, somebody should be there watching. Does that valve physically open or shut? And that's can be done with variable per hour, but by the same token, we should see if uh, the valve itself is working mm-hmm. because we can set the control out and with the switch sending the message, but is the valve actually working? Right? And that's a great place for that Hawkeye, Hawkeye app or the uh, AccuBoom remote. You can stand behind the machine and trigger those sections, and you can watch them section by section turn on and yeah. make, make sure the boom valves are working, make sure the nozzles aren't plugged and, and get the pattern that you want. Yeah, and that would be when you are actually spraying material. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do that with water before you go out to the field. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I would say if you've got your, and you make sure your control valve is working. I mean, whether it mm-hmm. be, uh, if it's some of the smaller sprayers have still have the old butterfly valve, make sure that that's actually, and that what you're doing is actually going up and down with increase or decrease. Put it in manual, use your increase and decrease and see if you're, you can watch your volume per minute and your rates and see if they increase and decrease. You can look at your spray pattern, see yeah. if that increases and decreases, and your pressure is going to be a byproduct of that too. As you change that, you'll see your pressure change if everything's working properly. Right. Yep. So, so if you go ahead, Casey, it's a little easier, you know, when you're dealing with a standard valve or butterfly valve, um, you can see that instant change. You can physically see the valve move. When you have a PWM valve, a lot of the new sprayers do. You know, you got to make sure you have good hydraulics coming from the machine but we also have a PWM output that you can see to see if we're actually sending a signal since we don't have a you know a valve to physically look at and, right. and see we can check that PWM reading. And, yeah. and the PWM valve is actually controlling the speed of the pump and the hydraulic flow, yep. so that's what we're looking at. So, yeah, that that's important. And one thing is we're looking at that, and that will go into our dry application as well, but that PWM number just because that number climbs does not necessarily mean that the valve itself is responding accordingly but at least we know we're sending that signal right. to increase or decrease that we're, valve. We're, we're giving the command yes the uh and one thing you can also check is if you're running in self-test speed as lance said putting it in manual and uh if you you could either that or you could also drive so if you're driving and you drive faster and your rate goes lower and if you s- slow down and your rate increases, that's a true telltale sign that mm-hmm. your control valve is not working. Right? Yep. That's where you go into manual. Can I get manual functionality out of it? Is the valve stuck? We're not getting electrical s- signals down to it? Or do we got something not set up properly in right. the unit where we're just not controlling it all? Yeah. And we can go to the right to the electronics too yep. and check that yep. valve and check see if we're getting voltages and check your voltages correctly. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. yep. And, you know, that for each valve, it's a bit different, but at least, you know, and, and that's all in our manuals as far as yeah. which, uh, what the voltages should be. For right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so you kind of, you kind of bring up the, the dry machines. So then what kind of stuff are we really needing to be looking at on a dry machine? Cause we don't, I mean, we're not going to have, you know, the booms, the strainers, uh, it seems like it's a simpler system, but there's a lot more to it. Yeah, a lot of the same basic concepts are still there. We still use our area per hour because uh, we need a boom sense. Um, mm-hmm. If it's a spinner box, we're working with one section. If we're working with an air air machine, we might have two boom sections, a left and a right. Still looking for that area, still looking for that speed. Um, our volume per minute goes off of a mechanical movement on the bed, so you don't have to physically put product through. It's just a moving movement of that be- mm-hmm. bed chain will 
turn what we call an encoder, which gives that signal back. So we can run that bed empty uh, before you put product in there. You can actually run that right. chain empty. You can get that rate. You're not physically putting product out, but you can make sure those mechanicals work, make sure we're we're running things like they should. If you put that into auto with a self-test speed, all of a sudden that bed just goes wide open. Our volume is probably zero, or we're not getting that feedback from that encoder. So some things to look at, you know, just like with the sprayer, we got to look at our connections, look at our uh, look at how that encoder is mounted. Is that mm-hmm. mounted secure? Because that goes on the shaft, and then it has a little tab to hold it in place to keep it from rotating. If something broke there, mm-hmm. or something's slipping on that shaft, that's some things to look at there. Uh, just make sure all the mechanicals are good on it. Make sure the mechanicals on the bedside. You know, make sure that bed chain is tensioned properly and lubricated properly. You don't have those stiff joints. Uh, if it's mm-hmm. been parked outside, you might have that. So you might have to do some maintenance on the bedside to get everything moving smoothly to get right. that consistent rate. You might get that uh, up and down rate as you kind of take in some bed chains and maybe kind of seized up or rusted. As they try to go over that roller, it's going to slow down and then pick up once they're on the straight again. So some of that things from the mechanical side, you probably need to look at on the bed. You know, make sure it was maintained, lubricated, and taken right. care of on that side, which will impact how we control from the control side. Yeah the 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 bed chain itself, like you said, it's very important mm-hmm. uh, on a sprayer. When we're looking at our our flow reading, we just we're really just concerned with the flow meter and it's and it, as that uh, turbine spinning around and we're counting pulses off of it. Uh, but but the bed chain, like the tension part. Like that, that's key. Cause that's, um, you know, not, not everybody kind of, you know, uh, gets the math of what the, what's in a spreader constant. Cause, uh, one part of it is how much that bed or that chain rotates or how much that chain moves for every one revolution of the encoder. So if you're, if you have some, you know, if there's a lot of slack in that chain, mm-hmm. that number's getting bigger and, and it, then your rate's going to be off. And it depends on the style you have too. Some of yeah. them have a chain, some of them have a, a belt over chain and some of them are strictly a belt. So you're relying on friction to turn that. Right. So if that's not tensioned properly, empty that might work fine. But as soon as you put a load on it that yeah. you're trying yes, to pull, exactly. it, it might be slipping. So on those machines that are just a belt over the over the drums, you got to make sure that is tensioned properly. Because if you're slipping that belt, you are not getting an accurate rate. Right. It'll, Everything it'll will be, look okay, but it's every, not. It's not going to come out in the end when, right. you, when you're looking at the math. The it'll be erratic. Time, yep. Mm-hmm. It can it be might. inconsistent. It's going to. Slip more when the when the box is full, and as you get down to the end, it's going to probably work better. Yeah. So as you put that load on there, you're putting that resistance. So, yeah. uh, knowing your bed, uh, going by the bed manufacturer specs to make sure things are adjusted and intentioned mm-hmm. properly is key to good operation. Right. Yeah. And just like Lance said, uh, talking about the belt, if it goes wide open, running wide open, or we have the same thing with on a lot of on the sprayer side if rate goes wide open, a lot of times what's happening, it's looking for a message from either the encoder or the flow meter, the control valve is, so the controller itself right. is keeps is uh, looking for that signal, and it doesn't get it, so it just keeps ramping the rate or the speed up mm-hmm. on, on all of it. So that's yeah. why we see that wide open or that full reading, because it's not getting a rate from either the flow meter on the spray side right. or the encoder on the uh, dry side. And to yeah. build off of that a little bit, if it's going wide open, sometimes we get um, a system that'll go wide open when we're sitting still and we're not supposed to be operating the system. You know, then we got to double check what our what our valve uh, setting is set to. Is it set to a closed type valve or is it set to a regular fast valve? Um, mm-hmm. We got to be able to set it to a closed type valve if needed to be able to to shut that valve down and yeah. 
stop application notification. And just just remember the on the dry side the 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 uh, we have the meter cal on the sprayer side, the consistent uh, on the trade off or on the other side of the uh, dry side. That's the spreader constant part, yeah. mm-hmm. not the density. It's the spreader constant is like the meter cal in the sprayer. That's side. another good thing to bring up, Gary. So anytime that gate is adjusted on a dry machine, if you raise or lower that gate as you're changing product, right. you probably need to do a catch test and verify that spreader constant and adjust that. Uh, different products flow differently. Different rates require different gate openings. So if you're spreading lime with a big gate opening and come back and spreading another product with a lower gate opening, you have to change that. Mm-hmm. If you get... Uh, two different blends that maybe flow differently out there. You might have to, to do that catch test and change that uh, spreader constant a little bit, even though you haven't changed your gate height based upon how those products flow. If they're a big, chunkier, round ones that roll together or if it's a fine powder, it's going to impact how that product flows through that opening, and that will impact your your rate. Another thing along with that that um, needs to be done that a lot of people don't religiously do is verifying that density of the product. Right. Some people look at a product, say, I know it's MAP, I know it's this density. Really, it should be checked every time that bed is loaded. Uh, you should check that density and adjust that because uh, mm-hmm. from mix to mix, from vendor to vendor, there can be variations in those products. You know, you have a good overall average, but you may have a difference from load to load, and we're only as accurate as the input that we put in. If our spreader constant and density are incorrect, our end rate is going to be incorrect. And just to Gary kind of mentioned that you know the the liquid side is meter cal, uh, dry side is is the spreader constant. But for those who don't know, the the spreader constant is just a calculation of how many cubic feet of product is going through that gate at any given time. So an easy way to to calculate that there's formulas to calculate it, but calculate it for a one inch gate height, and then you can get a good understanding. You know, if I adjust it to a two inch, a four or eight, then we can make a, an easier assumption of what that valve, the way I value like to, should be. The way I like to think about it, the meter cal on a flow side is we're reading the flow of a liquid going through a flow meter. When we go to a spreader or a dry machine where we're using the encoder, we're taking mechanical movement and turning it into those pulses, and then we're converting it to the weight by adding that density into the factor also. So both of those impact your output of volume. Mm-hmm. And we've come a long way as manufacturers go as well. Most manufacturers do have... Uh, recommendations for the yep. gate height so mm-hmm. you know check that first that probably is the easiest but like i said you know all our manuals do have uh the regular calculations for it and it's we, necessary and we, uh, we have an automated calculator on our portal too that you can plug in those dimensions and it'll do the math for you yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point you know that's one thing that's one extra uh addition to the calculations we, we just mentioned it but it's density you know mm-hmm. when you have sprayer it's meter cal when you have dry application is spreader constant and density and you talk about that you should weigh every load it isn't only just from different manufacturers it's time and temperature of the day can even make a difference Uh, humidity those kind of things can all make a difference especially when you're working with a blend of a product yes yeah so a lot of what we've talked about is the basics to get you going along the outside there's other things you should probably check too like from a dry machine uh, you may be using bend level sensors. You can test them when the bed's empty. Make sure they trigger like they should. On a sprayer, you know, look at your pressure. If you're using your pressure transducers, make sure you're getting the readings from those. So look at those outside pieces. They're not going to impact whether you can or cannot apply, but they're going to be those features that can help you out and make your life easier. 
if your bend level sensor is not working and you run the bed empty and you drive a couple rounds without putting product out, you got to figure out where did that run out and where do I patch this back in. So, so if you lands, where would how would you check the bend level sensor? What would you do to make that? Uh, the bend level sensor is in the bed. It's a kind of a C-shaped piece, and it uses a light, and it's whether it can see that light or not. So you can go in there and you can put like a piece of cardboard or something solid in that C-shaped piece, and that should trigger that alarm as you move that in and out. If that's not working, you can also, you know, the sensor itself might be bad, mm-hmm. and we can determine that by checking some voltages yep. and jumping across on the, the connector on two pins. Right. And that would do the same thing like Lance had yep. mentioned there with uh, putting a piece of cardboard in the sensor. So Yeah. So, no, I would, I would say that's a lot of the physical applications for both dry and liquid there. I think we've got some, uh, quite a bit of it there, I, mm-hmm. you know, as far as the sensors and so on. And, and one more thing on the encoder. Encoder is always determined on one revolution of the encoder of the shaft on the belt or the chain. Right. That's how we set it up. And each there are different sizes encoders out there, just like we have different size uh, flow meters. The encoder itself uh, can, uh, you know, it's how many pulses it outputs. Some are 180 with Raven. It's either 180 or 360 is what most of them yep. are. Yep. The other thing, too, along the lines is once you get everything working good, if you haven't done it in the past, a good idea is once you're applying good, whether it's liquid or dry, and no matter what field of your computer you're using or console, write those settings down so you have them for reference for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, this day and age, a lot of people have smartphones with the field computers. It's really nice. Just snap a picture of the screen, and then you got that reference to go back to later. If, if something does happen, you got that point. That, I know it worked when these numbers were in there. Let's go back and put these in, and let's work from there again mm-hmm. and see what had changed. It's always good to have that reference. It's kind of like insurance. If you have it, you hope you, ne- you probably never need it. That time you didn't take that picture or have them written down, that's when you wish you really would have known, right. what yep. do I put in here? Mm-hmm. And that is a whole lot faster than trying to write it all down. Yep. Yep. Uh, quickly, though, there's a couple other things, both on the liquid and the dry side. On the liquid side, you know, we didn't talk about spray tips. Calibrating the spray tips is a good thing, you know, because okay. when we we can look at the pattern, and I think this is a given, but at the same time we see the pattern, we can look across and say everything's good, but we actually should do a catch test and follow the recommendations of the spray tip manufacturer for that volume, what it should be doing, because right. they're easy, you know, over time that, that spray pattern can change. Well, those tips do wear, depending yeah. on what chemical you're putting out and how many, how much product you've put through them. They, yeah. They're a wear item, yeah. and I don't know if they get checked and change as often as they really should. No, I would agree. You know, I always talk to uh, one of the people I know uh, is, works for a spray tip manufacturer, and he said people can spend, you know, $250,000 plus on a sprayer or higher, and uh, they want to crimp on a three to $4,000 worth of tips on there, and they put all that money, and he said that's actually the most important. You could put have everything correct, but if your spray tips are not working correctly – that whole sprayer isn't an effective right. machine. Mm-hmm. It's so. like with anything. You're only as good as your weakest link. Yeah. 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 And with Hawkeye, I mean, that's our Hawkeye tip controller, nozzle control. We actually have some uh, algorithms built in where we can determine, is that system efficient? Um, are those tips worn excessively? It might tell you that it's uh, more efficient than it should be and, and give an alarm to say, hey, you need to check your tips. Yeah. So. yeah. And then I was saying on the dry side, it doesn't hurt to check your sensors for your spinners, your spinner control, and so as well. Yep. That's another thing, too, before you go out to the field. Make sure your spinners work. Make sure you get the rate back from them. Make sure you have control over them. Because if you go out to the field and your spinner's not working, you're going to have a hard time applying. 
Yeah, if you want right. to put a 30-inch strip down or a 36-inch strip down in the yeah. field, you, you want those spinners to work to get that spread pattern, or whether you're doing 60 or 70 or 80 foot, depending on what you're applying, make sure those spinners work. Not all systems control them. Some of our systems do. Some of them we just monitor. So depending on right. what you have on there will depend on how yeah. you run them and, and what all to check on them. Yep, we don't always control the speed, but always make sure if you're replacing bolt heads on that uh, spinner, do not use stainless steel bolt heads because yep. the sensor will not read stainless steel. That's a very common problem we have. Some of us said, all my spinners were working the other day. I put new blades on there, and I put these fancy stainless bolts on there so they wouldn't rust up, and now I can't get a spinner speed. Right. Talking about rust, too much rust uh, will definitely cause some havoc with those two, or if that spacing, uh, spacing gap is too large, we right. won't be able to read off those. So, Right. Uh, so we kind of started talking about it um so like you know it's every everybody's favorite the numbers the the maintenance of the the field computer itself right that's nice let's <laughs> <laughs> le- we'll probably leave that in there it's gonna out. it's gonna keep going yeah <laughs> um <laughs> uh yeah but like um so as we get in we're talking about you know making sure that you keep those numbers uh, saved somewhere because, yeah, you, ha- you have to, say, replace it for whatever reason or um, one thing that uh, not, not a lot of people do, like even, even in, in your own time, like with your computer, with your cell phone, everything like that, uh, you know, if you haven't done anything with it for a year or two, um, you know, you, every once in a while you do actually need to reset and just start over from scratch. Right. Or, or go in and do file maintenance and well, take care of files. Yeah, that's the, another like part a of field it. Computer, the more files we get on there, that can slow the system down. So it's a good right. idea to periodically go in and take care of those old files, take them off that are not needed. If you're doing prescription maps, take off the old RX maps that you're mm-hmm. no longer needed. Uh, if they're just sitting there dormant and they're not going to be needed, they're taking out valuable memory that's going to impact your right. performance of the unit. Right, and and, and uh, you know some some people like to know well. What's that? What's that line? How many how many jobs can I keep on there and still be able to run? Or when is it going to start slowing down? It's we shouldn't be worrying so much about that. You should kind of just get in that habit. Yeah, I'm gonna okay. The end of the day, the end of the week, uh, just go in there, do file maintenance, and make sure that it's all cleaned off. Yep. And, and keeping that clean makes a big difference. And and like Matt was saying, the size of the jobs. You know, I, I can't put a number on a field. Exactly. Because yeah. somebody might go spray a 15-acre field. Somebody might go spray spray 1,500 acres in one shot. Yeah. And there's things that you can do that can impact that size of that job. You know, the number of products that you're doing, if you're doing variable rate, if you got a bunch of scout boundaries. But the one biggest offender that I find that will kill a job size or make it unneeded to be um, large, you know, start the job in the yard and then drive to the field. Because yep. that captures that point of where that was started, and that, that grows that size of that job in quite a bit. People yep. don't realize that, and that takes up a lot of memory when you start doing that, things like that or doing multiple job fields within one job. Yep. If you're doing a field here at, you know, by where you start, then you drive 10 miles on the road and open that same job up in another field, instead of two 15-acre fields, you got that whole area, that five-mile square area mm-hmm. that becomes part of that job. The larger that is, the more memory it takes up. Right, and you'll see you'll see that reflected in uh, in the application report. Yep. And why is my field uh, this tiny little speck this in tiny, the corner? Yeah, this tiny little speck in the corner. It's because well, you really started 
way down in the uh, bottom right, I think it yeah. is. You know, you started down there, and then now your field's up there. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I always recommend starting the job in the field and closing the job before you leave the field. And it's not only important to get the the data and the information off, it's we got to be careful what we're putting on there too. You know, the prescription maps, loading the whole year's worth of prescription maps on day one probably isn't right. a good idea. Or, you know, if those prescription maps have um, a grid size that's 20 feet by 20 feet, that map size is going to be huge, eating up valuable space and, right. and causing the same effect of not doing file maintenance for the whole year. So what is our recommendation for... Yeah, so let's say you have a 90-foot machine or if you are uh, if you got a spreader at 80-foot, whatever the size of the machine is, uh, make your grid size that same width. You know, if you have 120-foot, yeah, yeah, minimum would be the uh, the size of what the boom width would be for right. that machine. Yeah, because, like, make, making those maps, it's, you know, it, it looks good. It's very, you know, it's it would be very precise if we were doing right. something, say, tip by tip or – but the machine – for the most part, the isn't go- yeah, it's not it's not going to be able to actually control to that to that map, and then so, so you'll probably see it's like well, it's really we're basing everything off of uh, GPS position, which we'll get into in a little bit, but um, you know, it's, you have- we're reading, you know, we're looking so far ahead because you have your arcs look aheads and everything like that, and it's like well, okay, the rate changes here, the rate changes here. Oh my gosh, there's so many different little rate changes that and, we're trying and, to keep up, and we're processing all that in the background, yes. which can slow the system down. Yep. So, so if we're changing that rate three or four times across the field, it, it's fine. It's going to go on and work fine. If we're changing that rate every three feet going across the field, yeah. it's going to be constantly processing, constantly adjusting, and we're not going to get a good application that we're looking for. Right. Yeah. And, and some if, of that you have to realize when you're driving 10 to 15 or plus miles an hour, it's hard to adjust to that. And we have to look at we're mm-hmm. not – when we set our grid size, it isn't what our section size is. It's the, with the machine overall right. because of the fact that flow meter or that uh, 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 encoder is controlling just one total width. It is not doing it by section. Right. So that's kind of the thought process there because I know people think, well, but we're, AccuBoom will shut off by section, so couldn't that work? But no, it's still the work with the flow right. or the amount calculated by that individual uh, flow or volume. Uh, connector and to ju- and to jump on that too. So you're you know uh, you mentioned you mentioned the sensor right you know and then that's working in tandem with that valve. So a lot of times you can be kind of restricted off of what valve type you have. You know a standard valve is going to operate a little bit slower than say a fast or or, uh, mm-hmm. or a PWM. You know uh, so as we're trying as we're trying to control uh, that sensor's getting that reading and then it's sending out its cues to the valve, which we talked about. You know it's uh, no. yeah. You can always, when we're talking about memory, we can always download it to USB. It isn't that yep. you're ever going to lose it. I mean, that's right. that's over, maybe overstating yeah. the simplicity of it. But by the same token, you don't have to, you're not losing it totally right. if you get rid of it off right. that memory if you can put it on a USB drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you can transfer it to Slingshot if you, you have that, that capability. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, and, and getting into Slingshot, you know, you kind of have to have your uh, your due diligence with, Making sure that they got sent, or you know whoever's whoever's in the office, or if uh, you have your own operation, and you make sure that, yep, I received those files on Slingshot. Uh, I can open them, I can access them, I can do everything that I need to do with them. Then yeah, well, let's go ahead and let's just let's just clear them off of the Viper uh, or, or whatever field computer it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just make sure you make sure you get them and they're still usable, and then then clear them off. 
Um, like with the USB, you can tell, yeah, it went through, but maybe that USB drive is, uh, you know, kind of worn down. They, you know, without getting like into the real technical side of it, they only have so many times that they can be, uh, we, they can have stuff put on them. They can be erased, uh, things like that. So might not make its way back to the office either. And download <laughs> well, it onto yeah, the computer too. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, can, pocket or run yeah. through the washer and dryer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Things like that can happen. You know, so, uh, and, and like a lot of, uh, with I would use probably the Viper Four as an example. Uh, you'll have that those couple um, options when you're when you're taking things off when you're doing your file maintenance. You can either copy them or move them. And like the button, it just looks like it's a you know you got two pieces of paper. It goes from one to the other, or you have a kind of like a blank outline of a piece of paper and it goes to the other. So just make sure you're probably doing the two pieces of paper. You know anything that is copying. You know, because once, once you move it, it's it's gone off yeah. of the field computer. And if you're trying to put them onto a bad USB drive, the Viper 4 may recognize it. But say, you know, it's that, that USB drive's kind of on its last leg and everything like that. It may say that it went through properly, but it, it didn't. In, in my mind, I'd rather do the extra step, do the copy, make sure the yep, file is there exactly. and usable, then go back and delete it and clean it up. Mm-hmm. If you do that move, you're, you're kind of gambling there. You know, a lot of times you'll come out good, but there's going to be that time it's going to bite you. Yeah. I think uh, another thing people are, if they're looking at their uh, field computer, their controller, their, you know, software. Well, there's another version of software that came out over winter, so I better upload that thing right away here to make sure it's the best. Uh Tell me what you think, you Casey and Lance, what you think about that, but that's not always the best case scenario. We we make it too easy now with Viper 4 and the over-the-air updates. You know, we push them out all the time, you know, when the when the next version's out. But, you know, if everything's working, if everything's working well, you, you know your settings, you know how things are working, just leave it, you know. Unless there's a new feature that you want to take advantage of, yep. that would be the time that we, you know, could update. Or, or you know, if we do run into issues. Then we might have to. Yeah, if we have something the in the, and, that's that's been an issue or problem, you know that a, this uh, system rectifies or tries to address, or this new version, that's something to look at. But it's kind of the old: if it ain't broke, don't fix right. it. Type thing. And we got to be careful on some older machines that may have come with one display and then been updated. We got to look at what's attached to that field computer. So yeah, the field computer we might be able to update that, but this new version is that going to work with that older boom speed node or product node? So we got to look at the overall system, and sometimes when you update the field computer, you got to update those other nodes, and in rare cases, you may have to replace a node to get it compatible. Right. So, so those things you got to be careful for. So, I'd recommend looking at the release notes and seeing what's new and what's fixed, and does any of the, that information or those new features fit what your application is and what you're looking for. Those features, you know, we come out with new features all the time, and they might apply to a liquid machine with this field computer, but you have a granular machine, so. Not all of them you can take advantage of. Or they may uh, be specific to a product. Like right. this, this version of Field Computer helps us with Hawkeye or helps us with this color or brand of machine for a certain situation too. So the update may not make any difference to you if, you're, right. if you don't fall within those parameters. Yeah. So it's like Casey said, it's too easy to do that. And too many times guys will update and then they'll run into an issue because they haven't checked how it affects the rest of the system. Yeah. Yeah. Just be alert and aware of what's right. in that update. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and so. make the decision of, is it going to help me or not? Yeah. And uh, so speaking on updates too, like, so if, if, if you are going to be doing updates, you know, make sure that machine's running. That's probably, I think that's probably something that we get quite a bit. Uh, I went to do the update and then 
I lost my node or my ECU and or you know or the field the other ver- the other part of that is there may be a couple different things going on there maybe you updated your uh, your field computer or is it the nodes first that we maybe see that if we update the node too far beyond and then the field computer software is too old it doesn't recognize it you want to keep them paired up if you got too yeah. new a field computer software it may not recognize some old nodes yep. if you got too old a field computer software it may not recognize a new version so right. kind of try to bring them up together if you can yeah without it's, long it's, it's almost like yeah maybe you you do the nodes first because mm-hmm. you know every the field computer's recognizing it mm-hmm. and then then do your field computer last i think that's probably the deal but but uh like to to the volt to the the machine issue or the machine uh having the machine running you know uh you want to make sure that there's consistent voltage to those nodes and to that field computer because if you just have it on uh, say keyed power you just have it kind of like turned to accessory and and uh, you're just running straight off of the battery. Uh, it might be fine when you start, but there might be a little bit of a voltage dip or something. We're like depleting that. that voltage while that's yep. going. And a couple of our updates, some of our older smart tracks in particular, they can take 15, 20 yeah, minutes. Exactly. And if you're running on just key power and that voltage drops, we can corrupt that file that's going to that node and what we call brick it, yep. which means we have to go back and try to recover it to get it to communicate again, which. If your machine would have been running and idling and the alternator putting out good voltage, we wouldn't have had that issue. But if we deplete that voltage running on key power and that node bricks, then we got to try to figure out how to recover that node and get that operational communicating again. And those, you know, like Matt had said, make sure the engine's running before because if you just have it on key power, you realize, okay, 10 minutes in to this update, my voltage is getting a little bit low. You can't turn the machine on at that point. When you hit it's, that starter, you're going to have that voltage drop. It's yep. going to cause us issues. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yep. Machine's always got to be running. Yep. Yeah. Better off just just hoping it's going to work at that point rather than yeah. firing up the engine there. So. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of nodes, that's another thing we could check. I'm backtracking just a bit, but when we're talking about with the sprayer and we're going uh, running water in that, you could go out in the field and probably make a field pattern with uh, headlands, et cetera. Right. And check your acubal. I mean, so yep. just see, drive into a point row, make sure your sections are shutting off accordingly. And yeah. That's working with your GPS. And the same thing with the dry application. I mean, yep. you can do that as well if you've got, uh, you know, like a couple, like the Air, Air Max with the, a couple booms on there, uh, something like that. And or also maybe a simulated, with a dry application, a simulated uh, uh, prescription maps to see if your rate is changing as you go yep. on those are things we should probably look for mm-hmm. as we're going, right. as I, we do apply, because you know we don't want to be trying to find out that they don't work when, when we have the either the chemical or full uh, product on the the uh, granular side as well. Like Gary had said on the prescription maps, you know, not only does a prescription map work and the system controlled to the prescription map, make sure you remember how to load it into the monitor. You know, you don't want to be in middle of the season and forget how right. and have to run a prescription map job if you don't do it every day. You know, just refresh your mind at the, the beginning of the year so you, you remember how to do it. And if you swap field computers around from machine to machine or got a new one, make sure it's unlocked for that. I've had so many people that get out right. to the field, yeah. I got a load of product on there, trying to load a VRA map and it won't work. And well, I got a new monitor, but it's not unlocked for variable rate. Right. So look at that up ahead of time. If you plan on doing variable rates, you know, take a look and make sure you you got the proper unlocks in That's it. getting to be pretty key because uh, as we see with controllers, not just Raven controllers, but all controllers, the the unlocks are becoming a more and more prevalent thing for somebody to be aware of what right. they have on that machine. And, and with some of our new field computers, we give you a demo time in there. So 
the first 20 hours, it might work fine. And then that demo time expires and then that shuts you off for that next job. So you got to, if you got that new machine and you're planning on doing that, make sure you got those permanent unlocks. Right. And you, you would see that, you'd see that probably with more than just, uh, prescription rate control. Mm -hmm. You, uh, like say you're doing a weather station Mm -hmm. or you are running an ISO system and, Mm -hmm. That with that with that time, I believe it's we get some ISO section control unlocked. Yep. We get the the task controller, everything like yeah. that, and it's oh after that twenty hours, and and that's uh, that's in job time. Yep. That's that's yep. in the job time. Um, I think some some may be different. It's just runtime, so that's another thing to look out for. But uh, with the Viper Four, it's just it's just job time. Um, but yeah, once that twenty hours expires and then nothing yeah. works. So just be aware of what what yeah. permanent unlocks you have are installed and yeah. and how the demo time may impact that and when that runs out don't yeah. get yourself caught. A good example is on the uh, the Hawkeye or the yeah. Product Controller Two Note is that Excellent. individual nozzle shut off that's available. That's twenty hours, and too many times guys are wondering what happened. And but that is a uh, elective. Uh, outlet that doesn't automatically uh, engage as soon as you turn the node on or operate. It's a, a, something that you can elect to uh, engage as we go on. Yep. So there's a lot to go with a Hawkeye yet that we probably haven't. Well, right, yeah. So I didn't. Yet. I didn't even think of that. Right. So I didn't. I don't know if I knew that. That 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 uh, there's a demo time also in that ECU. Right? Yes. That yep. It's yeah. determined within yep. the ECU itself. You know, we got to look on the ISO side of right. things. The, All the controls basically are an ISO because that product controller node does not know what it's connecting to, what monitor or what task controller it's connecting to. So we kind of basically dumb down the monitor or the task controller, even though it has its own separate functions. More controls are put into the ISO mm-hmm. product controller. Mm-hmm. So, Casey, what do you think we should do if we're looking at the ISO, or, um, pardon me, the Hawkeye system? So we're talking about maintenance, looking at spray tips. We've got that all covered. What is it about the Hawkeye system do you see that we should look at? Right. I mean, first off, like you said, the tips and the maintenance, physical maintenance, you know, when we go out there and check those tips. Um, you know, we, we give it a recommendation of 500 hours, you know, to, to replace those poppets and those seals. And, you know, go out there when you're doing your physical check, you can go out there and, and see if anything's leaking. That should be fairly obvious. Um, when you get the system started up, though, electrically, uh, make sure that all the nozzles themselves are communicating. You can actually go in there on the individual nozzle diagnostics and count each individual nozzle, see if it's green, red, or yellow, and that should give you a good indication of is it communicating. You can also go back out there and check out there's a, an LED diagnostic light on each nozzle. See, you know, you don't really, there's, there's several different colors of, of how they can blink. Um, make sure they're all blinking the same, you know, and if they're communicating, if there's no alarm codes on the screen, mm-hmm. just go out and do a, a quick check out there on the boom, make sure everything's consistent. And, uh, and if it's not, you know, then troubleshoot from there, check out your codes. Don't be afraid to reset defaults and, and go through the wizard again. It'll ask you all the questions that need to be answered to get the system functional again. So, another, another thing to think of is uh, if you got stacked nozzle bodies, make sure your manual shutoff matches the mode you're running in. So, if yeah. you want to run in standard mode where you're running the pulse, make sure your your uh, non-pulsed nozzle body is not open. That will throw the rates off and throw right. our control off. So, just make sure the mechanical matches up with the settings. 
you know, going back to the 500 hours, you know, that's a recommendation. And, you know, a lot of it depends on the material that you're working with, too. You know, yep. it can be less than 500 hours. It could be more than 500 hours. Yep. So you have to still take that apart, and that's why we provide the tools we have to manually. And I think that's wise. When you guys say every, at the beginning of the season we should be looking at each yeah. individual uh uh, NCV or nozzle control valve, and look at the individual parts. Take them apart and look at them. And look for buildup and wear. And yeah, and and, and, and I even integrity the, of the seal, even the mm-hmm. poppet itself. You know, it's there's a good example inside in the manual, a picture of it, what it, a worn poppet looks like versus a good poppet. The other thing is, I've seen uh, uh, taking them apart, and they the that poppet head, which is uh, you know a, a Viton type seal or some or a EPDM, depending on the nozzle body. But if you look at it and it's chewed up, looks kind of like hamburger been chewed up. <laughs> it's like right now I can tell exactly what it. You got debris in your system, and that actively is chewing that up. So first thing I would do is what size strainer do you have? Yeah. Are you using that eighty mesh strainer like we recommend, or are you doing something less? Because we're letting too much debris get through to get into those poppets. Or we got a buildup somewhere after the strainer that's breaking loose and getting in there too. So I can tell yeah. us where we need to look. Right. I would that, agree. 500 hours, you know, you might not know, you know, if you replace a couple nozzles, you might not know what the life of that nozzle is. We actually keep track in the nozzle diagnostics, so you can go in there, check each individual nozzle by serial number, see how many hours it's actually run, how many mm-hmm. hours it's been in operation, and and that might help you make a um, recommendation, you know, do we need to replace it or, or are we going to be good for a little bit longer? Yeah, and if we take it loose and connect – you know, too many times I think guys are afraid of that means, oh, man, I have to go through the whole calibration and go through again. And basically, uh, in re-indexing nozzles has become much easier with the latest software. Right. Before, you had to go through a, a wizard, but now the, the indexing, you can re-index nozzles. Press one button, it'll index left, it'll index the right, and that's all you need to do as far as the nozzle indexing goes. And if the machine shut off and you uh, work over the nozzles and put them back in the same spot, we may not even have to re-index. Correct. Right. Only, only if you replace them. Only if you replace or move the order would we have to re-index. Right. right. Yep. Simply because of the fact the uh, board on that NCV is sending that message back to the main product controller, the Hawkeye mm-hmm. node or the ECU. Each one has its own unique serial number, and with a roll call, it the main ECU knows what order those NCVs are in. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so we kind of briefly mentioned it earlier i just kind of want to wrap things up with uh gps you know it's like everything that we are doing now revolves around it you know so we're we're doing our we're doing our section control based off of it we're doing our auto steering based off of it we may Um, be getting our speed off of it Yep, exactly Mm -hmm. so uh so it's just like what what kinds of things do we need to look at uh from a from a pre-spring standpoint i mean aside from just Okay, yeah, it goes from yellow to green yeah. or, or something like that. I'd physically start looking at the antenna. Is it mounted up on the highest part of the machine? Is there any damage to the body of the antenna from branches, machine shed doors, debris yeah. that may hit it? Is it in the proper position based upon the dimensions that are put on mm-hmm. there? You know, that positioning will impact your section control, will impact your steering. If you take that antenna and move it forward or back three feet, it's going to impact your performance. Make sure those dimensions match up and make sure physically it's not damaged. Make sure the wire coming out of it is yep. in good shape. You know, I've seen some where they've been knocked off the cab and that wire starts getting stretched and frayed, then you have intermittent problems. Just give it a good visual look over. Mm-hmm. Yep. After the visual look over, you know, make sure 
all the GPS is routed to where it needs to go. Does it need to go through yeah. smart tracks? Are we, do we not have smart tracks? Can it go directly to the monitor? And a lot of the monitors, it depends what kind you have. But, uh, you know, the, the Viper Pro has an AutoBot button. The Viper 4 has, you know, you can redetect your serial communication. So that's it's more of a one-button press, you know. Does it find anything? Is anything there? Right. And, and it'll give you a thumbs up or not. Um, and also, you know, are we running a WAS signal or are we running a, a GS signal? Do we have the correct subscriptions? Are they still active? Yeah. Do we have RTK? Do we have all the hardware, you know, cell-wise to, to get the are RTK we, signal? Are we tied in a base station that's within our, our baseline that we need? Right. And I think, too, it just it goes back to basics, but get out in the open area and see how many satellites we're accessing. Yeah. Back away yeah. from the shed and the trees. Back away, you know, get out. Out in the open, are we getting that minimum of five to six at the minimum? You know, because right. if we're not getting our H stop, which is the you know we want to see all those different things. Yeah, so it's- yeah. So like the numbers, the numbers to look at, and to jump in what you're getting at, Casey is so we make sure that we have we're getting into the right mode. You know, so you might see that uh, mode or GGA quality or something like that mm-hmm. if you're just running WAS or SBAS, uh, you know, whatever we're calling it nowadays, <laughs> right? It's like you want to make sure that we're in mode two or mode two, yep. or if uh, with RTK, I think it's four. Yep. Um, and um, Four or five. Yeah, they'll, five they'll, have, some float, different, they'll have some different yeah. ranges of that. And um, GS would be five as well. Yep. So, yep. so we, may, we make sure that you're getting into the right mode. Uh, you brought up, Gary, the HDOP or, you know, horizontal dilution of precision is what it really stands for. But really all that is is like, so where kind of how spread out those satellites are, you know, so if you, this could, this could possibly vary time of day, or if you're up next to a, a shed, your HDOP might be higher. And we, we kind of set a threshold at 2.5, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that number really means, but it's, uh, you may not see all of the satellites to the east of you, but you see all of them to the north and the west and, and the south, but that number's going to go up higher because they're all kind of clustered together. But if you get a, a broad view of the sky, um, that that number's going to be that number's going to be much lower. And then another number that you want to look at is your AOD or your your age of differential. Or I think in the Viper Four it says diff age. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's really just okay. We're getting a correction signal, or we have that we have that lock signal, and so it's like that number might count up, but then it'll reset and it'll go back down to zero and it'll start counting up. And that's like not as past 10. And roughly. Yeah, right. And that varies by your correction type. Like an RTK, normally you don't see more than one or two. It's, right. It continually refreshes. Uh, an SBAS system, you're probably looking at 10 mm-hmm. on the high end. Uh, GS is going to be a little less kind of in between. I forget where that kind of falls in the two, three, four second yeah. range. It's but it's going to depend there. upon the correction type that you're using. So know yep. what you have. Know what you're looking for. Make sure you have all the subscriptions on locks needed with that. So if you change any equipment out, make sure you have the proper unlocks and the settings for what you're trying to achieve. I like to compare, uh, to add one more value to look at here, I like to compare the uh, number of satellites to the diff age or AOD. The number of satellites is going to tell you, is that antenna hooked up and is any communication there at all? And if it is, you know, like Gary said, you you want five satellites minimum. Um, and then compare that to the AOD, that's going to be your differential. You know, are we locked mm-hmm. onto a WASP satellite? Do we have a GS correction coming in or RTK correction coming in? Those two numbers will, will tell you and kind of direct where we need to troubleshoot on that if needed. Right. I have one other thing I'd like to bring up. Oh, my goodness. That would be audible. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. 
especially on the you know obviously on the sprayer that you know our boom height control you know uh that's important we're seeing the importance of uh for correct spray pattern is totally uh becoming a more and more important asset uh on a system so right. you know make sure your auto boom is working put it your hand underneath those sensors see how they react accordingly you know how does the opposite side of the boom you know and uh all those type of things are something we can look at and so just make sure your sensors are working that physically like Lance always brings up that we didn't hit anything or something yeah. that goes with it, yeah. but uh, make sure that they're all working. So I that would be just one extra thing I'd like to add to it oh, as far right. as the sprayer yeah. goes because that's that's an important part of our application and spray pattern. Yeah, and with with AutoBoom, you know most of the most of our field computers have one screen that provides you know feedback as far as are those sensors working. You can see it all on one screen. There's sensors, pressures, uh, that type of thing, and Again, with anything else, don't be afraid to to reset and recalibrate. You know, AutoBoom walks you through the wizard. You press two buttons to calibrate the left and right, and it will reset those values, get them back to a base minimum, and more than likely get your system Good working. Good rule of thumb, though, is if you're pulling your machine out of the shed this time of year and you want to recalibrate your AutoBoom, make sure we don't have those sensors over water or ice or snow. Right. Mm-hmm. Those reflections will give you improper readings, Improper readings will give you an improper cal. So make sure you're over some clear gravel or, mm-hmm. or or some dirt where you get that proper reflections. I've had so many people that have installed systems in the winter or try to fine-tune a system in the winter, and if you're over ice or something, it doesn't work. If you are stuck doing that, get some pieces of cardboard to put on the ground underneath those sensors. Yep. Get that good reflection. If you're reflecting off of snow or ice, it's going to give you an improper reading. And always start from the ground and work your way up. Don't yep. put it right underneath the sensor because – we got that eight-inch uh, dead, dead space band. there, that the dead band that the sensors won't work. So start from the ground up and put your hand underneath as you go up. Right. And if it is cold, anything hydraulics-wise, make sure the machine's warmed, warmed up, up good. Yeah. yeah. You know, Auto boom, smart tracks, anything like that. Yep. It's going to definitely impact performance. Performance changes as that oil temperature changes. Get it up to operating temp if we can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That uh, we uh, just this not too long ago we put out. Uh, video on the calibration for it and in the fine tuning. Uh, the calibration is very quick, but the fine tuning that's a, it's a little bit more in depth, but it's important. Yep. Um, so uh, we kind of walk through those those steps and everything, and that's really the calibration is probably only not. I wouldn't even say it's half of the equation of of it running properly. It's always about the three S's in Audible, right? right exactly. Yep. 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 Speed, sensitivity, and and uh, stability. So. But I think, I think that could kind of covers it. We hit our granular machines, our sprayers, and anything you think of on a Hawkeye yet, KC or not? Um, I mean, as far as the the community, the nozzle communication, that's going to be really important. I mean, we covered the the sprayer side of it. You know, Hawkeye is going to add that one extra level of of nozzle communication. Um, you know, just making sure the nozzles are communicating. I mean, from there. You know, you can always fine-tune it. We have the response rate and, and those type of settings to dial it in, just like the three S's with AutoBoom. But um, the communication starting up for that first time of the year, that's going to be the most important thing to focus on, um, making sure those nozzles are checking in. So, right. And with anything, you know, just that little bit of time spent up in front of the season is going to save you a lot of headaches as you get into the season. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Um, oh, uh, it's probably just the last thing. So uh, if we do say uh, you do end up needing to get a hold of us or, 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 or your dealer for that matter, um, what kinds of, what kinds of stuff would you just recommend that people have on hand? Cause you know, we get, we get, it's like, okay, well we're calling, we're on our way out to the machine. There's not really much we can do at that point, but so if it's, you know, you've been, say you've been working on something over the weekend or, uh, you know, what kinds of, what kinds of information would you like to have had somebody maybe just write down, uh, if they, you know, if the, if they're using the phone in the house or something like that, um, you know, kind of like your cal numbers, things like that, or what maybe. systems and products are on the machine, right. you know, what field computer, what nodes, what make and model of the machine it is helps us out. You know, well, that's yes, that that's that's big, uh, and model year like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, you, know, yep. you get a huge change just from year to year. I need maybe even take it a step back. I might it might sound silly, but actually know what the problem is. Um, never fails that somebody goes out to the machine, well, they're having problems, but they don't actually know what the problem is. Are they not able to achieve rate? Is, is rate erratic? Um, right. You know, as smart tracks, if we're dealing with some steering stuff, find out exactly what they're having issues with, what they're not thinking is is working properly. If it's a rate issue, look at that area per hour and volume per minute. Give us some feedback of what you see in there. Is yeah. one of them zero? Is one of them jumping up and down? That can help us narrow things down. Right, yep. But that and, you know, definitely have a multimeter if things get down to that. You, no know, that'll, light. you don't want a test light? Test lights, uh, in most cases, don't do us any good. <laughs> but uh, a good multimeter, you know, would be able to test some voltages, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a jumper wire or two, paper clip of some sort. Um, those are the, the good those diagnostic tools that we Those are our key tools. Yep. Yeah. It's no joke. I mean, no, it really, really isn't all the time. In it really isn't because, you know, you're – Everything is still, we can talk all we want. It's still based on electronics. It's making yep. the communication, et cetera, that goes with it. And I still say that having that multimeter to check uh, voltages can save you a whole lot of time instead of just swap. I know people can be in a hurry and they want to swap out components, but yet the amount of uh, income or money that it takes to be swapping out those things can be saved a whole lot by just the fact that maybe if you swapped out a flow meter, or valve, or something else, et cetera, and you look and you find out it was a bad cable, well, now you've uh, doubled everything up is mm-hmm. what you're doing here. You spent so. a lot of time, you spent a lot of money, and you still never got to the root of the problem. That's correct. Yeah, and you don't even necessarily need to get a top-of-the-line multimeter. You know, no. 15 bucks. Yeah, like a $15 <laughs> just voltmeter. Just read read the voltage. Yep. 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 Maybe something Maybe something you can get, uh, you can get your voltage and... It comes to it, we can test some resistance. Check continuity. Yep, continuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess, uh, listen, do you have anything else we want to cover? You think we hit it all? I think we're good. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.